Welcome to LJN Radio. I'm your host, Tim Muma. On this episode of Management Decisions, the focus turns to pensions, mainly a thing of the past, but in some cases still in play for employers and employees. But the question is, for how long? To deliver his detailed knowledge on the matter, we have Mark Stratus on the line. Mark is a certified financial planner with Zarka Financial, and he has some insight into pensions and the alternatives. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. Well, this is an intriguing topic for me because when I was looking at some of the points regarding a pension, I got to thinking there might be some of our listeners who don't even know what a pension actually is. Could you quickly fill us in? Because some people just know it by name, like, oh yeah, those things used to exist. I think today, sometimes the use of the word pension is is almost like saying Kleenex is a tissue or Xerox is a photocopy. Sure. But legally, there are two different things between a pension and a profit sharing plan. And the best way to understand the difference is a pension is considered a defined benefit by the IRS. That means the company controls the structure, controls everything regarding what you might ultimately receive as a retired employee. A profit sharing or a defined contribution, most people say would recognize as a 401k or something similar, where money's coming out of their paycheck and is matched by the employer, something over which the individual has an awful lot of control. Sure. Where with a pension, The only way to access that pension is you get to your stated retirement age and you take your payments based on the terms of the pension agreement. So pensions are what grandma and grandpa used to have. I mean, my grandfather worked for the old uh, railroad company years ago. Sure. And when he retired, he got a monthly pension. Right. By the time my dad retired, he didn't have a pension. So, and I guess, and that's part of the conversation here is why did pensions essentially go away or why did they become, as you said, something grandma and grandpa had? If I can keep my answers to something overly simplistic, because that question alone could take a tremendous amount of time. There are white papers that have been written dealing with these types of things, but suffice it to say that pensions have gone away because of the cost to the sponsoring companies. And the legal liabilities they have, if they maintain a pension, as far as making sure that money gets paid out to the beneficiaries properly. And when I use the word beneficiary, I mean the pensioner, okay. the person who's entitled to receive that pension, as well as a survivor, if that case is applicable. So at some point, probably during the 80s, as the, the economic dynamics and tax laws began to change, companies began looking at ways to maybe lighten up their liability, maybe do some things differently to put more responsibility onto the shoulders of the employees, because it's really a major financial headache for a sponsoring company. And I'm not, I'm not taking their side. I'm just saying that it's, <laughs> it's, it's just a financial responsibility. Right. The example I can give, and this came to me in a meeting I was attended recently, I think last month, is that a person in Florida died in, in his mid-90s. He had been retired from General Motors for the past 40 plus years. Wow. So he actually worked less years than he was collecting his pension. Mm -hmm. And those kind of liabilities, because if the pension, the person collecting the pension or the beneficiary is still alive, then the companies have to keep money in an accountable function to pay them that responsibility. Sure. So as companies began looking at their profit and loss statements, as they began looking at their balance sheets, I think they began going, hmm, can we improve our stock price if we don't have this liability out there? And companies began to look for ways to get away with it. And what's interesting is that until a few years ago, the people most likely to have a change in that option, having a company come to them and say, you know what, 
you're going to retire. Here's what we'd like to do. We're downsizing. So we'll give you an option to take a lump sum mm-hmm. check in lieu of a lifetime pension. And that got the employee off the books, if you will. It was helpful for people to take that decision. Okay, I can retire now. I'm going to leave right. Ma Bill, or I'm going to leave CEI, or I'm going to leave somebody, and I'll just take a, an X number of dollars and be responsible myself for maintaining my retirement. And in 2014, or actually in 2012, Ford went to the Department of Labor and the U.S. Department of Justice and said, you know, we'd like to do something similar, but include people already on pension. Oh, and they won the right to do that, which kind of set the whole that whole part of the industry on its ear. Right, Ford made its presentation. So what they were offering is not just to people currently working about to retire, but people already collecting their monthly pension, and said, well, "We'd like to give you a big one, big check, and get you off our books." Hmm. The "get you off my books" part is my emphasis. That wasn't exactly how they said it, of course. Sure, but that's my way of helping people try to understand. Right, that when a company, in my opinion. When a company offers a lump sum distribution, it's not so much their way of saying, thank you for your years of service. It's thank you, but please leave us. (laughs) And we don't want your responsibility anymore. Sure. And a number of things led to that. And one of them, there's a whole new interpretation in the industry, which is called de-risking pension plans. Mm -hmm. And that's something that will affect the individual, depending on how the company chooses to try to do the de-risking. And the, the primary way of doing it is to change the investment scheme inside the pension plan and re- reduce the amount of exposure to stock-based investments in the pension plan and go more toward bond-based. That reduces growth. It might make for improved stability in the short term, but for the most part, it's going to reduce the ability of the plan to grow and keep up with inflation. But it does that, and it's looking to preserve the assets that are in the pension trust. Another way to do it is to say to the people, what we're going to do is we're going to, give, we're going to buy for each and every one of you a lifetime annuity, and you never have to worry about it again, but we're giving this big chunk of money to an insurance company on your behalf, and you're off of our books again. Right. Or they're coming to the individual and saying, here's what we're going to do for you. You've worked for us for 35 years. You're this certain age. We have a present value discount on an interest rate, and that correlates to a present value for a lifetime stream of income. Here's a chance. Take this check. If you cash it, it's all taxable. If you roll it into an IRA, at least you maintain the deferral for time being. Hmm. And that's the three ways most pension plans are giving the opportunity to be to de-risk what they're doing. The question becomes, Tim, is why are they doing that to begin with? Some of the research indicates it's a way to bolster stock prices. And if stock prices are bolstered, then perhaps upper-level management gets a bigger bonus. Sure. So there's, there's always a less than altruistic motivation <laughs> behind the scenes, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and I think most people would look that way first. I mean, you hate to feel that way, but um, it's hard not to think that just based on people's experiences, things you see. Now, with these sort of uh, getting them off the books plans and uh, the idea of the pensions, do the ex-employees in this case, do they have a right to say no and just keep that pension? Or is that something that is the decision is made for them? I have seen in papers provided to people who come to me and say, can you help me interpret this? Mm-hmm. An option to pass that and say, no, I'd like to stick with the pension plan. Now, let's say you do stick with the pension plan because maybe you're a very risk aversive person sure. and you just don't want to have to worry about it. You just want to know that that check's going to show up in the mail or a direct deposit to my checking account every month. So the part that people don't calculate is that if there's 15,000 people in that pension plan and 5,000 opt out for a lump sum distribution, 
there's that much money left in the pension plan, in the pension plan trust, to fund all the, re- the money for the, re- the people left behind mm-hmm. that have opted not to. So that perhaps creates a level of concern for future cash flow sustainability by the pension plan trust. Right. So it's never an easy answer. Sure. And again, you know, obviously we have, we have a lot of shows that talk about different strategies, whether it be financially or job-wise. And uh, of course, each individual is going to have their own situation. And uh, we encourage people to you know, seek out an expert to help you with situations like this, because it can be tough uh, when you're talking about it from either side, really. As far as other things, I mean, you mentioned the kind of the ways that they've tried to essentially, as you phrase it, get them off the books. And I think that is a great way to illustrate it for people. You mentioned 401ks kind of being, of course, people, something people understand. Are there other aspects that employers use or other strategies they use as opposed to pensions because we don't see those very often anymore? My answer to that will be yes, but typically it's reserved for the ultra highly compensated. Okay. There, there are ways for the corporations to structure deferred compensation mm-hmm. plans and other things which are totally legal, totally above board, but it usually involves the company setting aside some money for a select few and do not have to meet the standards of tests required for a larger group. They, in essence, can be carved out to get special treatment That's right. based on their compensation. But when I do that, that's not creating a present tax deduction for the sponsoring corporation. Okay. If the corporation wants a tax deduction for what it's doing, then it has to meet a broader test and be more inclusive of all eligible employees. So those kinds of things can be done there at the nominal level of where you're dealing with the, the, the day-to-day employees, not the executive offices. Sure. The reliance currently on putting 401k plans in place. Partly, there's some mandates out there that the Department of Labor has put in place. And I wish I could speak more fully to those exact requirements, but suffice it to say that if I'm a company and I set up a 401k, there's a lot of pressure for me to make sure there's enrollment. And if the enrollment isn't there, I may have to contribute to it regardless as as the the, the company sponsor. Right. Today, I, I think most people who are in the workforce understand that one of the options they have, if they're a full-time employee, in some cases, the definition of full-time, those, those number of hours move up and down depending on social pressure, depending on legal aspects of it. But let's presume we're talking about a typical 40-hour-a-week employee or more. They're going to be given, in almost every case of which I'm aware, an opportunity to put money into a pre-tax savings plan. Right. On the corporate side, they used to strictly be 401k. The rules changed a few years ago to make 401ks and 403bs virtually interchangeable. And the 403bs used to be the domain of hospitals, government activities, school teachers, librarians, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then certain state employees have a 457 deferred comp, which is also an option for them. And they can sometimes mix and match what they're trying to do, all subject to top dollar limitations. And pretty much in 2015, the most anybody can put away in a 401k or pre-tax savings is $18,000. Unless you're over age 50, then you can throw another six in. So you okay. could have as much as $24,000 being set aside, which really looks good. Except, <laughs> except if you still have to pay rent or a mortgage or car payment or health insurance, and maybe you still want to put food on the table and gas in the car, <laughs> let alone maybe having to help get the kid through college. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, people, at first, yeah, when you were talking about that, people are like, um, is he talking about after all the expenses I have? But I mean, it is a fair point. And I think, you know, it's interesting. People always talk about the good old days. Uh, it certainly sounds like the pension plans definitely were the good old days for employees versus the options that are today. I mean, would you agree with that? 
Uh, not entirely, but I okay. think the sentiment the sentiment would be that it was one less thing for you and I to worry about. I gotcha. Okay, I don't know that it was necessarily better, but I've been doing this since 1979, so I've seen a lot of changes in the the patterns. I've, I've seen a lot of changes in what we're doing legally, what we're doing socially, what we're doing morally. Sure. In terms of continuing to pass the responsibility and the onus of all this down to the individual. Mm-hmm. So good old individual ruggedness. There we go. But <laughs> we also, I mean, I can talk about working with people whose father worked and maybe he didn't have a significantly job that we would consider today, but he still managed to raise four kids, put them all through college and have money left over when he was done. I think those days are over because of the all the other costs taking place. I mean, I can remember when I could buy a pair of Levi's and May Company's basement for $2.50. <laughs> and, and if I'd have had the, the, the foresight, I'd have bought every pair I could and sat them in a closet for a few years and then start selling them. Right, right. It made a lot of money. But the, the, with the, the relative value of a dollar in high school, there were times we paid 15 cents a gallon for gas. Mm-hmm. And today we get all excited when it drops below $2. That we do. That <laughs> yeah, we get real excited about that. You do bring up a valid point as far as the the costs of uh, just living essentially and how that can play a role. So maybe maybe things do get skewed one way or the other depending on how you look at it. We are getting a little low on time, Mark, but I wanted to give you the floor at the end here. Um, just something you would want to give the listeners as a nice takeaway from our conversation, whether it's related to pensions specifically, uh, you know, obviously the people who are currently possibly have one, um, or just anywhere you want to go with it, you think uh, a general solid piece of advice as we wrap up. My comment would be people have to remember they cannot abdicate their responsibility. They cannot rely solely on somebody else to make the decisions for them. Cannot be clarified enough. You must, as an individual, be aware of what's going on for you, what your responsibilities are. If you have an option to enroll in 401k, don't ignore it just because you understand that there's going to be somebody at the company that will help you make that decision. Look at your statements. Be aware of what's going on because the way things are today, no one's going to take care of you if you don't take care of yourself first. It's that simple. Very well put. I think it's a great place for us to leave off today. Mark, thanks a lot for coming on, sharing your insight and your expertise. Thank you. My pleasure, Tim. That will wrap things up on this edition of Management Decisions and our conversation with Mark Stratus, Certified Financial Planner with Zarka Financial. Again, we are talking about the ideas of pensions and the alternatives for both employees and employers. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this episode or any of our shows, send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com, or you can connect with us on Twitter at the LJN. You can also find all of our shows on iTunes. Search LJN Radio in the iTunes store. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.